0: Together this morning, I count it a privilege to be with you in chapel this morning and look forward to this opportunity to share with you the precious truths of Scripture. We're going to be in the 119th Psalm. We'll spend our moments in verses 9 through 16. 119th Psalm, verses 9 through 16. Here we have probably one of the most unique questions asked by a unique individual. It was King David who wrote, The 119th Psalm, and if you've ever studied this psalm, you recognize immediately it's divided up into groups of eight verses. Each of the eight verses follows a pattern after the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as the psalmist David makes his way from verse 1 to the last verse of this psalm, he's actually growing in confidence in relationship to the Word of God. And so the Word of God becomes the central message of the 119th Psalm. And it's tucked away in the Psalms because the Psalms as a book. If you've ever studied the Psalms from the first Psalm to the last Psalm, you recognize that the Psalms never deal, or at least very seldom deal with the external. It's called the most soulish book of all the Bible. It's an anatomy of the soul when you study the Psalms. It deals with who you and I really are. And so if you want to learn something about yourself or something about what you ought to be, certainly you ought to study the Psalms because it is a study about your soul and how it relates to God, relates to mankind, relates to itself. And so it's an anatomy of the soul. And here in the 119th Psalm, we have an anatomy of the soul of one person by the name of King David, that unique and special character of the Old Testament. And as he writes this psalm under inspiration of God, his confidence in the Word of God is growing and growing and growing and becoming more and more mature as he recognizes the importance that the Word of God, the the role it plays in his personal life. At the very beginning in verse 9, David asks a question. In verse 9 he says, Wherewithal shall I, this young man, David, who at this time historically is operating as the king of Israel, he says, where would I, as a young man, cleanse my way? How shall I cleanse my way? Now, I think this is an important question. But before we answer it and before we investigate it, let me share with you this thought. In June of 1965, I was 17 years old, so you can add it up and get to where I am today. But I was 17 years old in June of 1965. I did not have the privilege to be raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a non-saved home. I was raised in a home that rejected all scriptural truth and rejected everything about God. I never attended a church, never opened a Bible for the first 17 years of my life. But in June of 1965, I was facing the tragedy of a dying father. My physical father was dying of cancer. I was only 17 years old. In the beginning of June, the Word of God for the first time in 17 years of my life was opened up to me. I was tender because of my father's death. I was looking for something valuable, something that had hope, something that had peace, something that had purpose in it. I would have taken just about anything. I'm thankful that the truth of scripture in Jesus Christ was presented to me. It took most of that month, but finally, about 1.30 in the morning late, one night in June 1965, I had the privilege to turn from my sin and accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I experienced true redemption on that evening in June 1965, and I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. You know, I found it was a simple step. Getting saved was not that difficult. How I missed it for 17 years, I cannot explain. But when I got saved, I got saved through a simple plan of salvation. I repented, and then by faith, on the same set of circumstances, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I became saved. Well, it's been a different story since that day. I may have entered the Christian family through the simple plan of salvation. But if you are like me, I have found that the Christian life is not simple at all. I have found it challenging. I have found it complex. In fact, to be honest with you, at times in my Christian life, I have found it extremely difficult to be victorious and successful and always on top of the mountain in my Christian life. I have struggled often in the growth of of progressive sanctification from the day I entered this family simply on the simple plan of salvation, and now that I'm living in the complexity of the Christian life. In fact, the question David asked, I've asked often. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Now, it's important to look at the question. The key word to the question is the word way. It's a little Hebrew word. It means highway in Hebrew, or literally It means a line drawn between two significant points. David came to God and he says, God, i got a question to ask you. How can I, as a young king, having lived a portion of my life but still very youthful, how can I keep this line drawn between two significant points in my life? How can I keep it clean? Now, the reason David asked the question is that just previous to the writing of the 119th Psalm historically is the scene of adultery in David's life when he com- commits the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, commits the sin literally of murder in, 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 in orchestrating the death of Uriah, the legitimate husband of Bathsheba, commits the sin of deception and then commits the sin of trying to hide his guilt for almost a year before God, that he would not confess what he had done. In fact, David spoke of that in Psalm 32, when he said, My mouth became like cotton mouth. He said, My body, it waxed like an old man, that I even feared the very reality of life itself. I did not want to live. He said, In the year that I lived with my sin, and I would not confess it. Now, you remember what happened. God sent a little prophet along by the name of Nathan. Nathan preached a little short sermon with a good illustration. David crumbled and Nathan said, Thou art the man. And David said, You're right, I am the man. I've sinned against God. And the result was the beauty of the 51st Psalm. Well, this great man that was called a man after God's own heart, that is when God looked at the reflection in his heart, it was like the reflection in the pupil of the eye. He says, I see David. That's how unique David was in God's heart. A man after my own heart. Yet he was just a man. Like all of us here. As great as David was. And keep in mind, our God has never wasted a word. So when God says he's a master after my own heart, God has said something extremely unique about David. I only know of one other individual in all the Bible that God spoke so uniquely about, and that was Abraham. Remember what he said about Abraham? He said, Abraham is my friend. Well, that's God speaking. Here a man after God's own heart by the name of David is a young king, and when kings were out doing battle, he stayed home in the palace, committed sin with Bathsheba, commits the murder of Uriah, or orchestrates it, lived almost a year in his sin, finally gets right with God, confesses all this sin. Now he comes to God in the 119th Psalm. He says, God, I'm down this road, this highway, this line, drawn between two significant points. And I'm looking back on the line, back to where that point began. Maybe the significant point was when as a boy tending the sheep of his father Jesse, David accepted God by faith, and that was a significant point. That's when he began his highway of life. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've got a highway of life as well. If you haven't, you're dead in trespasses and sins. But David had a highway of life. He had a line drawn since that significant point. And maybe we could say that the next significant point in the Hebrew language that we're addressing here is when David is going to take that faith and by sight he's going to enter the presence of God. And David says everything between faith and sight is called the highway, the way. The line drawn between two significant points. He's somewhere down that line. He looks back. He sees adultery. He sees murder. He sees deception. And he says, God, as he knows he's got more life to live, he says, how do I keep the rest of the highway clean? You ever found yourself in that position? You know, the trouble is we all sin in the struggle and complexity of this Christian life. And we sit on the highway of our life, we look back and we see the troublesome potholes of life. And we recognize there's some left to that line, to that last significant point when we enter the presence of God. And we come before God and we say, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And maybe you're there today. Maybe you've come to the place today, you're troubled with your Christian highway. Your line of life between significant points. You're troubled. You're wondering. You've maybe failed already. And you're sitting like David looking at all the potholes of your Christian life and saying, God, is there any way that I can keep the rest of this highway clean? That's my question. Now, before we can solve the question, you've got to have the right attitude. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is the attitude of David. David said in verse 10 here, he says, With my whole heart have I sought thee... Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. I'm using the King James. I don't know what you're using, but that's where I'm at. He says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Notice the sincerity of David. David didn't come half-cocked on this question. He didn't say, God, you know, I'd like to know. I'm not really that interested, but I'd like to know. No, no, David came with his whole heart, and he says, God, with all my heart have I sought thee. You see, you cannot come half-hearted to God. If you're one of God's children, a son or a daughter of God adopted into this unique family, and you come to God with this important question, that you'd like a Christian life that's clean and that maintains itself and is victorious and is running high for the Lord and the cause of Christ, then you've got to come with all your heart. you also got to come unselfishly. Keep in mind, this is the David that conquered Goliath. This is the David who killed his ten thousands of thousands of Philistines. This is the David who took the borders of Israel where they had never been before. He was the David of all individuals, the Jew of Jews. And yet now we find him broken. He says, "Oh God, you let me not wander from thy commandment. Would you take over, God? I haven't done a very good job of my life. I've tried to commandeer it here and commandeer it here. and I've tried to be the, the author and finisher of my own life in thee. And I have stumbled on this highway, this way... So I come to you now, and I say, God, with all my heart, will you not let me wander from Thy commandments? I turn all the reins of power over to you. I'm asking you to take over and let me not wander again. I've wandered so often on this highway. So he comes sincerely, he comes unselfishly, and here's this question: Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You know, God was very quick to answer him. Go back to verse nine, last part of verse nine. God's answer to King David was very simple. He said, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know what he was saying literally in that little phrase? He said, David, since you have come sincerely, since you have come unselfishly, and you are thirsty to know how to keep the highway of life, the line drawn between two significant points clean, I'm going to answer you. The only way you can keep it clean is by experiencing objective truth. When he said, take heed to the Word, he was saying literally, I have given the Word of God, David, not for you simply to know, not for you simply to be able to repeat it, I have given you the Word of God so you could experience it. You see, this Bible is not just a book of salvation. It's a book of life. It gives to us what we need to experience godliness and righteousness and if we are willing to accept its truth and live its truth daily. And so his command to David was simply, take heed to the Word of God and you will have a clean highway. Now, I'd like to challenge the students. I'd like to challenge all of you this morning, the time that we have available. I'd like to challenge you, if you are willing to ask the question, And if you are to come sincerely and unselfishly before your God, the same God that David came before, and if you are willing to sit back and say, Lord, with all my heart and unselfishly, I want to know how to keep the line between these significant points clean in my life, my highway. then the challenge is simple. You must take heed to the Word of God. You must take heed heed to the Word of God. It's interesting in David's testimony, he gives us four ways to take heed to the Word of God in verses 11 through 16 of this very Psalm. Notice four ways that you must take heed to the Word of God, that you must experience the Word of God in your life. Let me give you the four ways just in case we don't finish. We'll try. The four ways are the way of memory, verses 11 and 12, you'll find the way of memory. The second is the way of speech, which you will find down in verse 13. The third is the way of study. This is a college, we've got to use that one. The way of study found in verse 15. And the last one is the way of enjoyment, which is found in verses 14 and verse 16. Four ways to experience the Word of God, to take heed to the Word of God. Let's look at the way of memory. The way of memory. The first way to take heed to the Word of God is the way of memory. Verse 11. Thy Word. Many of you have memorized it. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Verse 12 begins how? Blessed art Thou, O Lord. Let's try to divide that verse accurately. Thy Word, the Word of God. What have I done with it? I have hid it. Interesting Hebrew word that we're going to plant ourselves on in just a moment. Thy word have I hid. Literally it means in Hebrew, I have treasured up thy word. Where have I treasured it? In my heart. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the soul. He's talking about you. He's not talking about something that's very shallow and very external. The psalmist writes here, he says, The Word of God, what have I done it done with it? I have treasured it where? I have treasured it up in the depths of my soul. What is the purpose? He said that I might not sin against thee. What was wrong with David's highway? What was wrong with it was sin. What's wrong with your highway? It's always sin that brings trouble to the highway of the Christian life. That's not the end, and that shouldn't defeat us. We can have victory because of the Word of God. That's why we have praise in verse 12. Let's go back to the word hide. That's the important word here. Thy word have I hid. Now, you've got to catch this because it's very important to catch this. The word hide used in Hebrew, its usage in Hebrew means this. It means something that I've done in the past. Get this now. Something that I've done in the past. With what? With the Word of God so that when the future becomes the present, it will benefit me. Now, can I say that? This is how this word is used. Thy word have I hid. To hide the Word of God in your soul means in the past you hid the Word of God in your soul so that the future that you know nothing about, when it becomes the present, the Word of God is there to benefit you in the present. That's how the Word is used. Let me illustrate it this way. You've heard I've got two children. Well, they're really not children anymore. My son's graduated from college and my daughter will be coming here her junior year for college at the master's. Both of our children, we were told early, my wife and I, that it was going to be difficult for us to have kids. Both were emergency cases. And so we did like any Christian parents would do. Each time that my wife got pregnant and we were allowed to have two children, they said two would be the limit. We went to the Lord, we prayed, we dedicated our children to the Lord. We told the Lord He could have both of our kids, they're His. And in essence, when you dedicate your children to the Lord, you're dedicating yourself to make sure you raise those children, that they will hear the gospel, that they'll have an opportunity to surrender their lives to Christ, and you'll build their lives in Christ. And so we determined very early when both of our children were born that we were going to teach them the Word of God. And so we got this little thing called, you've probably seen it, the ABC Memory Program, where there's a verse of the Bible that relates to every letter of the English alphabet. You know, A was, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, and C was a good one, children, obey your parents and the Lord. You know, you had all these, and and they had all these verses. And so when our children turned two years old, before they could read, before they could write, before they could do all those things, we made it our goal that they would memorize one verse of Scripture for every letter of the English alphabet by the time they were four years old. And both of them accomplished that goal. Now, they didn't know anything about those verses. They couldn't read them. They didn't know what they meant. All they knew is that mom and dad got very excited when they were able to repeat what we asked them to do. We did it everywhere. Down the grocery store... I'd tell my daughter, give me the letter A. Well, she'd sit in that little cart, you know, and she'd say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, you'd look around, That's my kid, you know, smart, you know. And uh, we went through this on trips in the car, every place we went, you know. It was, give me the letter C, children, obey your parents. Give me the letter D, draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. And we played this game for a solid two years. When my daughter was four and a half years old, Rebecca's her name, when my daughter was four and a half years old, I was pastoring in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. My wife was at uh, a, a, a women's meeting at the church. And so it was my responsibility that night to have Alone with God. We had these little cliches. Alone with God preceded horizontal time. You know, you always got to fool them a little bit to get them to go to bed. So we called it, hey, horizontal time's coming. You know, we're going to go to horizontal time. But first we've got to have Alone with God time. You know, so we were having our alone with God time and Rebecca and Andy and I were sitting on the couch and we went through the Bible together and we prayed together. When I was done praying and my daughter's four and a half years old, we started the memory program when she was two. She's only four and a half now. She turns to me after we're done with our alone with God and I'm about to clean up and get ready to get them upstairs for the horizontal time. And she turns to me and she says, Dad, I want to get saved. Now, I wasn't trying to trick my daughter, but I turned to my daughter and I said, Listen, Rebecca, why would a little girl who's only four and a half years old want to get saved? I mean, after all, what could she have done in four and a half years that would have identified in her life her need to be saved? You know what my daughter said to me? She said to me, Dad, it's the letter A. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A verse we put in her heart when she was two years old. She knew nothing about it, did not know what it meant. Two and a half years later, through the experiences of life that came in relationship to our home and to our church, my daughter said to me, Daddy, I want to get saved because I understand what that verse is talking about. When she entered Pillsbury College uh, two years ago, and she wrote on her transcript, her testimony, she related to that time when she was four and a half years old, that she turned from her sins and accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior because of the letter A. What I'm saying is simply this. By word have by hid. You store God's Word up in your heart. Why? So it's available when the future becomes a present. You think I'm not excited that my daughter had that verse of Scripture in her heart when she was ready to understand she needed to be saved? What if it wouldn't have been there? Now let me ask you something. Let's put it in a more profound case. How many of you have enough of the Word of God in your soul to face the temptations and the trials of the future that you know nothing about right now? Only God knows it. you know how many times God may have tried to put a verse in your heart planted it down in your soul because He knew of a trial or a temptation coming and He wanted you to be able to pull that out when the future became the present. See, that's what the verse means. Thy word have I hid. Where? In my heart. You say, isn't that important? He said in the verse that I might not sin against Thee. There is no subjective miracle to winning the victory over sin. It's only objective truth taking over the soul of the child of God. No wonder verse 12 starts, Blessed art thou. Hey, isn't it true? Don't you sing better when you're right with God? Don't you enjoy this wonderful Christian life we have when you're right with God? It's enjoyable to come to chapel. It's great to read the Bible. It's great to sing the songs. When you're right with God, when the highway's clean, it's exciting. It's a time to praise God and bless His holy name. But when you come in here and your highway's all messed up, You don't want to go to chapel. You don't want to sing. You don't want to be a part of the Christian life. David said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? God said, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. He said, the first way is the way of memory. Second way is the way of speech. We must hurry. He says, down in verse number 13, he says, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. You notice he says, with my lips. Listen, in order for the gospel to get out, it demands some lip service. An old evangelist one time said, you'll either give the Word of God out or you'll give it up. You see, there's something unique about being a Christian. You cannot just hide it all in your heart and exist somewhere. It has to explode and come out of your being into the lives of other individuals. And it's not simply walking around as a shining example of Christianity. Most people cannot read our Christianity. I got saved because of my older sister who got saved the year before I got saved. She came home from Atlanta, Georgia with her husband to my home in southern Wisconsin. She walked in the door, and I knew immediately there was something different about my sister Diane. She no longer smoked the cigarettes she smoked. She she didn't use the curse words that were everyday language for her. And on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning and on Sunday night, even though they were 800 miles from home, they found a little church to go to in our little town of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. I never saw my sister go to church. And before every meal, we had to do this thing I'd never done before. We had to pray. We weren't allowed to eat until she prayed. There was something strangely different about my sister when she came home from Atlanta, Georgia. But I want to tell you something. If all I would have ever seen was the strange difference in my sister's life, I would have never gotten saved because I was convinced that my sister in her life was a religious nut. And there was no way in the world I was going to become a religious nut. As much as it impressed me, as much as I respected what she was, I got saved because my sister would not shut her mouth. That was why I got saved. I said earlier I got saved at 1.30 in the morning. It was one of those nights I stayed out real late hoping she'd be in bed when I got home. Because literally every day You see, my sister came to Wisconsin with one purpose, to lead my dying father to the Christ that she had met a year before. My father was saved a week before he passed away. I was saved two weeks before he passed away. I got saved because my sister kept opening the Bible and saying, Alan, you need to come to Christ. You need to turn from your sins and be saved. She opened up her lips and she shared Christ. And by the way, I may have been the beneficiary of all that speaking for Christ. But it was reciprocal, it put steel in my sister's backbone to honor Christ with her life. You see, when you're sharing Christ with your lips, I'm not saying you're sharing the weather, you're sharing the the ball games. You know, we can share everything today. Have you noticed that? We can talk weather, we can talk ball games, we can talk business, we can talk a million things. Why is it when it comes up to accepting Christ, we become silent? Well, to your own detriment... When you do not speak for Christ you create a highway that's shaky. David said, with my lips have I declared all the judgments. Notice, he didn't declare his own thoughts. He didn't run around saying, I'm a good Baptist or a Presbyterian. I'm one of good guys. No, he said, listen I want to share for you what Christ, what God says in the Old Testament the context. It would have been the message of the Old Testament. The relationship to God. So I commend you by the way of your speech. You want to build some steel in your backbone. You want to give a solid reason why you ought to honor God with the highway of your life? Just share Christ with others. It will challenge you to keep your way clean. There's a third way, and I'm hurrying through this, but I want you to get it. The third way is the way of study. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts. Now this is not some... Religious guru, sitting Indian squat in a shallow, darkened corner, going through repetitive manna and saying, Wow! I just had a religious experience! That's not meditate. In fact, it's an interesting little word. In Hebrew, it means to muse, which means to run back and forth on something. In the Greek language, when Paul spoke to Timothy, it's a little word we use in the farming community. It means to cultivate. Why do you cultivate? Take that little round disc thing. You take it out, you dig up the soil. Farmers tell us the reason we do that is why? Because down in that soil there's a seed. If that seed is going to die and come forth as a regular plant, it's got to have oxygen. So you break the soil up. And when you break the soil up, oxygen can get to that little seed. It explodes into life and comes through a broken soil instead of trying to fight its way through a hardened crust. That's the word used here. I like the New Testament usage much better, but I think they collate in the sense that when we meditate we let something run by us over and over and over again. Put it into the farming implement. What he's saying is, when I'm going to meditate in my truth, he's saying, I'm going to take the Word of God like a divine cultivator and I'm going to keep running it over my heart. Why? Because I have a tendency to grow calluses on my heart as a Christian. And it suffocates all the fruit of the Spirit that wants to come forth and grow in Christ and make this highway so unique. And so David says in testimony, I will meditate. I will take Thy Word and I will run it over and over. Ever done a study on meditate? Have you noticed that usually when the Word is used in relationship to the Word of God in Scripture, it always involves an element of time? I'll meditate day and night. Listen, folks, outside of the personage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the written word is the most valuable weapon you have to use in your personal life. Christianity is not subjective. If it was, we would have listened to the testimony of Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. But instead, Peter said, you have a more sure word of prophecy. If you'll build your life On this objective truth, it will give you the opportunity through the personage of Christ to make your highway clean in Him. I will meditate. Take the time to study God's Word. Take this time like a divine cultivator. Let it run over your heart because every one of us in the complexity of Christianity are subject to this reality of growing calluses over our souls. And when those calluses get hard, we never submit any longer to truth. Some of you are sitting here even now possibly With a large callus over your heart and you're suffocating the spiritual realities in your life that want to burst forth in the thrill and excitement of Jesus Christ. You say, how can I cut them up? Come back to the book. And keep running it over your heart. And running it... And last of all, and I close, is the way of enjoyment. I bring this up because it's mentioned twice. Because I have found in life that whatever we enjoy, nobody has to challenge us to participate in. I played football from sixth grade to my senior year of college. Now, I may not look like a football player. I wasn't exactly the largest football player to play. I played an outside linebacker position and I also played an offensive guard position. And at least I have some marks on my body to prove I've played if I don't look like I've ever played. But when I played in college, I was one of the smallest starters on our college team. And playing outside linebacker, it was extremely difficult. As you know, you usually have those pulling guards that weigh in about 240 pounds. I weighed in 170 in college. Now, I probably weighed about 240 with all the pads I put on my body to protect myself. But when you got a pulling guard who pulls out and comes around that end at about 240 pounds... He does a four, five 50, and you got behind him a halfback that's at about 200 pounds who does it even faster. And they're coming around the corner and everybody in your line is down. Everybody's injured. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's been undone. And you're standing there. And here they come like locomotives. And you're at 170 pounds. And the coach is yelling from the sidelines, SACRIFICE YOUR BODY! you know you know what I'm talking about if you've ever played football it's a great sport I took all the beatings from 6th grade all the way through my senior year in college I took all the injuries the hospital stays everything I went through the crutches all of that but nobody ever had to call me in the beginning of August to tell me in college that we are beginning summer ball getting ready for the fall season I was always there you want to know why? In spite of all the troubles, all the sacrifice, all the problems, and all the injuries I have to this day. I enjoy playing football. I'll tell you something. If you would enjoy the Word of God. If you enjoy so many things that nobody has to persuade you to participate in. You would find one of the ways that would help you keep your Christian life, that highway, clear. I close with the greatest character of the New Testament, Paul. Outside of Christ. Paul was one of those unique characters. In fact, somebody ought to write a book called The Spiritual Secret of the Apostle Paul. You ought to. You'd make a million dollars. Have you ever wondered about that guy? I wonder about him every time I read him. You throw him in prison. Instead of grumbling, what does he do? He starts a singspiration. He's an amazing character of the New Testament. If you write the book on the study of Paul and you title the book... The spiritual secret of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you a hint in the book of Romans where to go to get your message. And then maybe I get some of the proceeds. But here's the hint. In the book of Romans, Paul makes this statement, folks. Why was Paul such a spiritual giant? What was his spiritual secret? Here it is. Paul said this in the book of Romans. He says, my delight. That is what I enjoy. What I take pleasure in. My delight is to be in the law of my God. Paul said, you want to know what I extremely enjoy among all the things in the thrill of life? I enjoy God's word. You want to answer the question? Lord, I got this highway now. I started it by faith. Can end by sight. I'd like it to be clean. All my heart and unselfishly, I'd like it to be clean. God says, my child, take heed to the Word of God. How? Well, Here's at least four good ways. Way of memory. Way of speech. Way of study. Way of enjoyment. And you're a long way down the highway of keeping it clean. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray, Father, that we would not take for granted the truth of Scripture, but that we would use it for thy honor and for thy glory. We thank Thee, Father, that we have the Word of God that's rich and true and pure and can accomplish the task wielded by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So help us, God, to keep our way clean. Through Thee, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.